Support for this show is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Boomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. Keep listening to hear their experience or visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising. I always tell people a check comes in, there has to be a reason behind it being sent to us. And it's our goal to find out why they gave. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Bloomerang. Today, I'm interviewing Carl Ferguson. As a seasoned fundraising professional, Carl is always looking for ways to ensure donors remain connected with an organization after making their first contribution. What sets Carl apart is his relentless focus on maintaining relationships with already engaged donors rather than simply reaching out to new ones. Carl has a clear understanding that a loyal donor base isn't built overnight, but through time, dedication, and meticulously planned strategies. His unique approach in placing a high value on the time of donation, thank you calls, the letters, the note cards, and tours have resulted in donor retention rates hitting new heights. In this episode, Carl and I discuss a lot about donor retention and ways to drive consistent funding for your nonprofit cause. We unravel the engaging practice of turning beneficiaries into donors and the importance of personalized donor communication and appreciation to build enduring relationships. And we talk about the ways that Bloomerang helps him do all of this. This episode is full of helpful takeaways and I can't wait to dive in. So let's go meet Carl. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Carl Ferguson. Carl, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thanks for having me. I am so happy that you are here, Carl. And I know we're having a few technical difficulties, so I'm going to share a little bit about your background, and then we are going to jump right into questions. So for everyone listening, Carl has been fundraising for 30 years and has worked for organizations from development organizations, international aid, all the way to mental health and hospitals. Now Carl works for an animal shelter, Espinola Humane, located in northern New Mexico, about a half an hour west of Santa Fe, and 90% of their clientele are low income. So Espinola Humane just celebrated their 30th anniversary last year. They began as a city-run shelter that was putting animals down every Friday when they weren't adopted. But after someone that worked for the city wrote an open letter encouraging a citizen group to take over, the organization was finally formed. Today, they have a mission of reducing the number of unwanted pets in northern New Mexico, and the way they do that is by providing free spay-neuter surgeries to the community. Last year, they did the most they've ever done, and they were able to provide over 6,550 surgeries, which is pretty amazing. So let's dive into getting to know Carl. 
before we clicked record, you were sharing a little bit with me around your philosophy around fundraising and particularly how you think about donor engagement after folks make their first gift, which I think is something that a lot of fundraisers aren't necessarily oriented towards. We have a tendency in this sector to have a lot of shiny object syndrome around acquisition in particular, and the donor retention numbers across the sector are really low. So I'd love if you would just sort of orient us first to your philosophy around donor retention and donor engagement, and we can go from there. Sure. I always tell people when it comes to donor retention is if I have two people in the room and one person has given me a donation before, and it doesn't matter the dollar amount, and there's a person here that's just as engaged with our mission, but they've never given a donation, truthfully, I will spend more time with the person that's given us money because I have a better chance of getting another gift than I am from that first gift. Over the last 10 years, I mean, donor retention has been really a focus of mine because, again, when I receive a check or I receive an online donation, or I even get an in-kind donation, I always say that person is sending me and the organization a message. I'm interested in supporting you. And what are you going to do? And a lot of people, I always say, especially larger donors, people don't typically come out of the woodwork that eventually become major donors. And they, they're typically their first gift is maybe $100, maybe mm-hmm. $250. And they are seeing how are you going to steward them? So the first thing I do is, and this is where I do love Bloomerang in the respect that on the dashboard, they have that section where first time donors pop up. So you're reminded on a daily basis to call those people. So I immediately mm. call them. And we have many places where people can become first donors. Of course, they can just make a gift online. They can send a gift in. We're always doing our in our mail outs. We're doing donor acquisition through that way. But we have people that come in and get a surgery. They adopt an animal and we have different offsite adoption events. So we have a lot of ways that we acquire Mm -hmm. donors. So to me, I don't actually spend a lot of time on donor acquisition. My job is like, hey, These people have a connection with our organization. It's my job to get them engaged and let them know what we're really doing. Because some people, they adopt an animal. They don't necessarily know what our Mm. mission of the organization. They may just think, oh, we just house animals and we find them homes. We have a million programs that are a lot more involved than just sheltering animals. Again, the first time someone makes a donation, we give them a phone call as quickly as possible. That is most important in my book. Also they get a letter, they get that tax receipt letter. I always try to get it out the door within 72 hours of us receiving that gift. The one thing I hate is when I make a donation and I receive a thank you letter like three, four, five weeks later, I'm like, that doesn't show good stewardship or that people that the organization is really on top of their game. So I I make sure that we do that. So first time donors get a phone call immediately. If somebody makes a gift over $250, of course, they get a a phone call immediately. They also get a note card written by a board member about a month later. So let's just say that you make a donation and I know that you're friends with one of my board members. So I will call you and thank you. And then I'll call the board member and say, hey, give Mallory a call because she just made a donation. And I love when people call me and they say, man, your organization really has the thank you process down. 
And mm. it's because it's the easiest phone call to make. I make mm. tough phone calls. This is easy. <laughs> you know, this is easy to go, hey, thank you so much. And then what I also do is if I think that they've never been to our facility, I will always offer to give them a tour because to me, that's mm. where I really get them engaged. So I track this. We have it. I think we've tracked it now for 12 years. So the things that I look at are donor retention. And we have a goal every year of 70%, which is super high. I know that. I think the national average is about 42%. So last, let's see, in 21, I hit the highest I ever hit. It was 68%. I was like, I wanted to hit 70% so bad. (laughs) And then last year, it dropped down to like 56% or something like that. But I don't get too depressed about it because there are a lot of things that play into that percentage Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of people that will give a donation and it's in memory of a friend of theirs and they live in New York. Most likely, I'm never going to get a donation. They're just making a donation in memory of their friend or their friend's pet or whatever. So I know there's a certain percentage that I really don't have a chance of retaining because it's really a one-time, a one-off gift. But again, I am looking at trying to get that up there to 70% every year. And again, I always say, if I do the things that I say I'm supposed to do, which is first-time thank you phone calls, getting thank you letters out within 72 hours, and making large donor thank you calls and note cards, and giving tours to people that are new to us, my retention rate will always be at least above 50%. So retention is one thing I look at number of households that give. I look at number of households that increase their gift from year to year. Mm. I focus on estate giving. So I look at the number of state gifts we receive and donors that we've lost. And also we have a large facility employer in the area. And I do a specific campaign to those employees because the company does a 50% match. Mm. So like when I started, we were receiving probably... $40,000 a year from the employees of that company. Now, because I do targeted marketing toward them, we're over $170,000 a year just from those employees. Because I always say, look, if you're going to donate to us, give through their employee giving program, because then we're going to get 50% extra through Mm -hmm. the company. Those are the three main things that I do for retention is the, the phone calls and then tours and thank you notes. But again, in a timely manner, and this is another thing that we started last year. So Giving Tuesday for most organizations has become quite large. One of the things that I wanted to try last year is I had myself and my assistant, we called everybody that made a gift of $100 or more on that day. So we were literally sitting there at our computer on Giving Tuesday. And as the donations were coming in, we were just immediately picking up the phone calling, hey, Mallory, thanks so much for thinking of us on Giving Tuesday. Appreciate your gift. And people were like, because they literally had made the gift within five minutes. And we called every single person that made a gift of $100 or more. And that was huge. People loved that. Wait, that was happening in real time or you called the people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, my sister and I, we were looking at the back end of our online donations. So as soon as a gift came in, We could see who it was from. We immediately made a phone call and said, thank you so much for your gift. And we did that all day long. 
And it was a lot of work, but it was amazing because people were blown away. And again, the faster you make that phone call after someone gifts has a more powerful effect in my experience. I love hearing all that stuff. I'm curious, like in terms of your personal time management, and you may or may not know the answer to this, like how do you balance or how do you think about your time in terms of donor retention activities versus acquisition? Like, do you have kind of a breakdown around like, I probably spend 20% of my time on this or 40% of my time on this? How does that end up working out, do you think? I would say I spend a majority of my time on retention versus acquisition because we acquire donors and we have a fabulous person doing our social media. This is an interesting phenomenon that I've never had in another organization. We actually have people that follow us on Twitter and Facebook that have are not interested in animals. And it's mm. because the woman who does it, she takes fabulous photos and she writes an amazing way that really captures the essence of our organization. I highly recommend just taking a look at our Facebook because she's, and the thing that we get away with, I always say working for an animal organization, we can do five posts in a day and people don't get upset about it. You know what mm. I mean? If you work for other organizations, I think you have to be careful about how much content you put out there because people can be like, oh, that's too much. I don't want to follow. But you post stories about animals that we've saved, we could do that all day long and people mm. will love it. So that has been helpful. So we acquire donors through social media, through our clinic, through our shelter, through off-site adoptions. And this is an interesting piece. So in our world, we also transfer animals to other places that need animals. Now, when I started here six years ago, I said to my boss, I know we have to do that because we have to move animals. But I'm like, the one thing I don't like about it is I never get to have a conversation with the end user because if we transfer those animals to another shelter or another animal rescue, that shelter or animal rescue then adopts them out. So they are the connection to the animal, not us, mm. even though we've put a lot of time and money and care into caring for those animals. But it's one of those things that we just receive too many animals that we have to do that. We're, we're yeah. trying to figure out ways of how do we connect to the end user to show them that the animal they adopted actually came through us. Yeah, that makes sense. And so in terms of you shared those three primary ways that you do the personalized touch points around retention. Yep. I'm mm -hmm. curious, when I think about retention, I think about the combination of those things and automated one-to-many marketing that continues to keep people engaged. It sounds like you have this writer who people are really interested in hearing these stories in an ongoing way. And you shared a little bit around how Bloomerang has helped you keep track of the first time donors that are coming in and those thank you calls and all that stuff. Are yep. there other automations that you use to focus on engagement with that you feel like are really helpful? Yes, I totally forgot about this one. So the other thing that I do, I started this about three or four years ago is I call or email, depending on which form I have of the person, everybody that adopts an animal from us one month after they adopt. Because not every adopter gives us money right away. Mm -hmm. You know, they've spent money on the adoption. They probably have vet bills and all this other stuff. So my thing is, I'm going to contact them a month afterwards 
how's everything going with your adoption? And if they're having any issues, then I connect them to somebody at the shelter. If it's like behavioral issues with a cat or a dog, I have people I can contact. If it was something that feedback that they had, they had a great adoption experience or a negative one. And one of the things that I asked them in that phone call and that email are two things. If you take photos of your animals and you post online, please tag us. Mm. And the second thing is, please go on Google and rate us on Google. Mm. And because we had like a 4.2 rating when I started, and I really wanted to get it up to like 4.5. And so right now we're at 4.4 and it's a, it takes a lot of time to move that needle, <laughs> but I'm happy that we've been able to move it a little bit. But it's really the one month phone call is that first touch to people that we wouldn't normally call because we haven't received money from them. They just adopted from us. And then one of the things that we're going to start doing in the next probably couple months, because we're developing it right now, is we're going to do an automated postcard to them one year after their adoption to say kind of mm. like happy one year adoption anniversary, something like that. And again, it's to just remind them touch point to get them to, hey, we're out there. And and I always tell our adopters, you know, we spend, we have low adoption fees because we want animals to get in people's homes. But we always say, look, we spend an average of four to $600 per animal when they're in our care. Because people are always like, hey, I'd like mm. to repay you for the amount of money that you spent on this animal. And that's what we have. So I try to encourage people to become monthly donors. I think when I started, we had like 35 monthly donors. And now we have 230, something like that. So that's another way. I always, people will call me and say, hey, Carl, would you want me to give just a gift at the end of the year? Or would you want me to do it in some other way? I always say, if you can make a monthly donation, we would greatly appreciate it because we have cash flow issues just like any other business. And if you give us monthly, you help us out in those times when donations are slow, like the summertime is typically a little bit slower. So we've really pushed monthly donors. Yeah, I love that. And I'm sure that also really helps with the retention piece as well. Okay, I want to go back to something you said a while ago around understanding the difference in retention based on how a donor was acquired in the first place. So I think that is so important and not enough people think about it. And I know for like organizations, for example, that do large peer-to-peer -peer campaigns, and then they try to compare those donor retention numbers to organizations that are doing primarily direct fundraising. And yeah. I'm curious, when you're looking at your donor retention number, do you ever segment it by how the donor was acquired in the first place? It's cumbersome. But I've tried to do that to take out, like I was thinking it initially uh, when I first did, I was like, well, let's just take out memorial and honor gifts. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, but a lot of those memorial and honor gifts also come from our local area. So I should be mm. able to, so they're not always from outside, they're internal. Now I could do memorial and honor gifts that are outside the state of New Mexico. That might help me out. But like, I'll give you an example. So when the pandemic started in March of 2020, one of the things all sudden, kids were all out of school, right? They were at home. 
So mm -hmm. we thought of this program. This was actually an interesting idea. We didn't make a lot of money off it, but we got a lot of people that were interested in it. We called it Pet Portraits. So you took a photo of your pet, you emailed it to us, and we had all these kids that were sitting at home doing nothing. We had a whole cadre of kids. We would send the photo to one child. They would draw it, and then we would send that drawing to the person that paid for, they paid like $20 for the portrait. And then they, the child would then mail the drawing that they did of their photoed pet to the person mm. back to them. And I mean, we got people from all over the country that wanted to do this. It was so cool. But again, the next year when I was doing retention numbers, I was like, well, I certainly don't want to include all the pet portrait people because mm. if, if you were in Washington state and you ordered a pet portrait, you're probably not going to give to this little shelter in Northern New Mexico again. But anyway, it's, yeah, I always do. When I'm making donor phone calls, I'm looking at why they made that donation. And again, I always tell people, a check comes in, there has to be a reason behind it being sent to us. And mm -hmm. it's our goal to find out why they gave. And again, making donor phone calls, I've learned over time to become more and more comfortable with silence because people will give you information if you shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, that's hard for fundraisers to do because we love to talk. <laughs> but I've learned that because it's like, Carl, just be quiet and they'll fill in the space. They'll tell you why they love your organization, why they love their dog. All that stuff comes out if you just are quiet. It's just when I started at the organization, they were not making any donor phone calls. And mm -hmm. I was having board members help me out with it because I wanted to show them it's not a difficult thing to do, and it's easier than you think it is. But I was trying to show people how it works. And I always give this example because this was a poignant one. So there was a woman, she gave $1,000 every April to the organization. It's amazing because she had never been called and thanked, but she kept giving. So my first April, the check comes in, I pick up the phone, I call her, I get voicemail. And I always tell people, don't worry that it's voicemail because, you know, in today's world, people just don't pick up the phone because they can see the phone number and da, da, da. So I said, just leave a nice message. So I said, Candy, thank you so much for your donation. You've been giving for 12 years. Your donation really helps us continue the work that we're doing because we're trying to provide free spay neuter surgeries to our community. Hung up the phone. You know, again, it's Carl Fergus from Espanola Humane, da, da, da. Hung up the phone. A month later, another check comes in for $1,500 from her. In 12 years, she had given $1,000 every year in April. And that year, she gave another gift of $1,500. Is it because of the phone call I made? I would hedge my bets to say yes. They're waiting to be thanked. Even the curmudgeons of the world that say, oh, you don't need to thank me. I don't know. I'm always, I always love calling those people because it's like they think they don't want to be thanked, but they want to be thanked. It's one of those things. So when you were talking about how I spend my time, what I do is I typically make my thank you calls between the hours of one and four, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's typically when I'm making my thank you phone calls. Because Mondays, people are busy or they're still coming back from out of town. Fridays, people leave early or don't work. So I always say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I like one to four because 
usually in the morning, people are getting into work or whatever. They're getting their emails. And one to four is, is usually a time that most people, if I can reach them, I can talk to them. So that's what I do. And it's worked for me. And I just have it on my calendar every day. And I have Again, Bloomerang makes it easy. So I have two lists. I have the first donor call list, actually three lists, monthly, if I have any new monthly donors, and then people give $250 or more. So those are the three lists that I look at and I make those phone calls Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. I love all of that advice and just, I really appreciate how tactical you're being so that folks can really take this and figure out how it works for their organization. There's another thing that you said that maybe is more like in the mindset space, but that I'm really curious how you think about this. So correct me if I misheard this, but you all are providing adoption services at a reduced fee so that adoption is accessible to people of all income levels, correct? Yep. Yes. And you are also thinking about your adoption families as a potential donor base. And I can imagine that for a lot of organizations, or I know from a lot of organizations, that they have a hard time figuring out how to incorporate their beneficiaries as donors or thinking about that transition that people who have received services from the organization can also be donors of their organization and they feel guilty about it or they feel like they don't kind of know how to invite a new relationship between them and that person. And I love the way that you talked about respecting that at first they've spent their money on this adoption. They have had a different type of financial relationship with the organization, but still really cultivating that relationship and then giving them the opportunity to, to invest back, give back to the organization later. But can you talk to me a little bit about this from kind of a mindset perspective? And if you've received any pushback from your board or other staff around like, those are the people receiving our services, we can't ask them for money, because that is like a very common thing in this sector. First, T of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First T of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First T of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. No, I, I never have any pushback from that because. This is why I give tours of our shelter and our clinic, because the building that, that our shelter is in, we don't own it. The city owns it. They let us use it for free because we're providing a service for them. There's nothing fancy about it. The clinics are three double wide trailers. We own them outright. So that was paid for by a foundation. So we have a stone parking lot. We're right next to the sewage treatment plant. We're down a dirt road. So there's nothing fancy, and that's why I give people tours, because I want to show them we have a 9% overhead rate because we don't spend any money on ourselves. It mm. all goes to program, and that's why it's like everybody that gets a service from us, they are eligible to become donors. 
and it doesn't matter. And I always tell people, that's why we have people that give us $5 a month and there's people that give us $1,000 a month. And you want to keep it open because I treat all of those people exactly the same because they believe in us to give us a monthly donation and it doesn't matter about their means. And another thing that we've done, so when I started, I I told my boss, I said, we have to be doing estate planning because Mm. the largest amount of money is going to be transferred in the next 20 years. And if we're not a part of it, we're missing out on it. So we work with people on their estate plans. And one of the things that we offer is because when I started, I knew a lot of people in town because I was doing fundraising at another organization. And most of our donors are over the age of 65. And they come in. I'm always like, well, Bob, you used to have a dog. He goes, yeah, but I'm 75 now. I don't want to get a dog now because I don't want to die and have the dog. And I, So we have a plan for that. We say, we want you to have a pet until the day you die. And if you include us in your estate plan, we will find a home for that pet. Mm. So we put a little caveat in there. like, And some organizations say, if you have to leave us a certain amount of money for us to take your animals, we just say, you include us in your estate plan, we'll find a home for your animals. I just got off the phone last week with somebody and I just said, make sure your executor knows how to contact us so we can take your two dogs if you would pass away. So that's one of the things that I like to to make Mm. sure that we offer. And when I first started, I realized that everybody that had adopted an animal from us in the last 30 years, they were all prospective donors. Because what I see, I started seeing when I started working at the organization was I'd get a check for $100 and the person would live in Florida. And I'd be like, what? What is this for? So I'd call them up and they were like, we adopted Fifi from you 17 years ago and Fifi just passed away. And I'm like, they have that connection with their animal. That's why it's our job to engage people early on. So they realize that we were the ones that provided that animal for them. We were the ones that saved that animal. So please remember us as time goes on, you can be a donor to help us continue that on. I love hearing what you said about not looking at how much somebody puts in their estate plan in terms of how you're going to support them with rehoming their animal afterwards. And so much of what you're sharing reminds me of the customer service side of Chewy, the, you know, and and just yep. hearing how much connection there is understandably between people and their animals and really building their identity with your organization into their identity and their relationship with their pet, which is just so special. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's our job to engage those people, to keep them informed about what we're trying to do, where we're going as an organization, our challenges, because this year has been crazy. Our intake has been in the first five months was almost up 100% over last year, the number of animals that are coming our way. And then the other, the other one tied in with that challenges is staffing, Mm -hmm. finding, you know, the labor force, getting people to work for you. And it's like, we've increased our pay like 30% pre COVID and people just are not applying for the positions they used to pre COVID. And I think that's going to be our biggest challenge going forward is, and we have an end of day email every day that goes out to tell what happened in the organization. And I just worry that we're going to burn our staff out because they're working so hard and we're not able to hire new people because no one's applying for these positions. Mm. Yeah. So that's our biggest challenge. 
you know, people always say to me when I tell them that I fundraise, they're like, oh, I could never do that. And what I always say is, and especially I tell this to new board members, first of all, I'm never going to ask a board member if you don't feel comfortable for you to ask for money. You don't have to do that. You can leave that to me. But I always say, look, you have to realize that I'm not just walking up to random people and asking Mm -hmm. them for donations. People are engaged with us in some sort of way, whether they got an animal from us, they got a surgery from us, they somehow saw us on Facebook, whatever. They know us because they're engaged somehow. They came through one of those portals, right? Mm -hmm. So then it's our job to educate them about what we're doing, what we're trying to do, because we have this mission of reducing the number of pets and unwanted pets. And that number keeps going down. This year, it went up because of, we think, probably related to COVID because our Mm. clinic was closed for a couple months in the beginning of COVID. So this is, we're probably paying for it now. It's just, to me, I ha- the donors, they're animal lovers f- for one. I'm not talking to people that are not animal lovers. Mm-hmm. And it, I once I tell them about what we're doing, and I, I love getting people a tour because then I can show them what we're doing on the clinic side versus what we're doing on the shelter side. And most of the people at the end of the tour, I can see it in their eyes because they ask the same question like, oh, I see you have this mission. And again, so important for most nonprofits is make sure you have a mission, make sure everybody in the organization knows what that mission is and that you do not drift from, too many organizations drift from their mission because I have to admit, it's easy when you have a foundation or you have a large donor say, hey, I'll give you money to do this. Mm. And And we had a donor early on said, hey, I'll build you a new shelter. And we were like, it's not what we want. That's not gonna help us with our mission of reducing now, if you want to pay for a, another vet to come and do surgery for us, that's a different thing. But again, it's redirecting. I always say I'm always taking people on a path of redirecting them into where we want them to go. Three or four years ago, I, I was meeting with a donor that was going to include us in his estate plan. We sat down and it's one of the largest estate gifts we'll ever get. The problem is he's my age, so it's it's a <laughs> long time coming. But we sat down and we said, what would you like us to do with this money? And he said, oh, I want you to do this. And it was totally not what we want to do. Mm. And I, we just said, hey, this is where we're going. And these are the things that we're going to do to get there. And he says, oh, I like this piece. So again, in a matter of 20 minute conversation, we were able to take him from this area where mm. he was going. We shifted him and we were like, this is where we want to go. And you can help us over here. You know, again, that's all I do is, is everybody that I meet with, they typically love animals. They typically love what we do, or I educate them to the point where they do love what we do. (laughs) And then it's just a matter of, this is where I love it. It's like, I'm not ever asking anybody for money. I'm just saying, these are all the different ways you can help us. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that all of those different avenues, one of them is going to resonate with them. And it typically Mm. does. Oh, I love cats or I want to do dog houses or I want to do blankets for you for the wintertime, whatever it is. It's my job to make sure there's enough avenues for people to give that there's one that that they're attracted to. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing. So I always say, I'm never asking people for money. I just tell people what we do. And it's their job to go, I want to give my money here. And again, I think it actually, I'm more successful as a fundraiser in the respect that I am not asking for money. I'm just saying, if you want to help out in their clinic, it's a $1.6 million operation. We need help paying for all of the staff, the supplies, 
everything. And on the shelter side, this is what you can. And again, I'm not asking for money. I'm just, I'm laying a pallet of stuff out in their lap and they're just choosing what color they want to paint with. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have a signature program called the Power Partners Formula and the mantra of the program is like, great fundraising is not an ask, it's an offer. And so it's just saying like, here are the different opportunities that we have for partnership and do you wanna be a part of it? And something that really strikes me about how you're talking about this and especially hearing, I love hearing about the friendly pushback around that estate. And it sounds like really being able to have those conversations where you all feel confident enough in what you do and your focus on alignment with donors that you're not just going to take money at all costs. You know, someone on the podcast, I always say like, not all money is created equal. And I did a podcast interview yesterday and the woman said, you know, some money is expensive. That's just such an important thing to remember is that like, yes, we want retention. Yes, we want our names and estate plans. Yes, we want to raise this money, but not at all costs, right? Not at all costs. And so I love that you're sort of holding that balance around having a high goal around retention that you're aiming for, but not letting that goal blind you around taking any money. Yeah, and exactly. And we you know, we do a, our big fundraisers in the fall. It's called Fur Fest. You know, my boss was like, when I started, she was like, I, I used to do these. I just don't do them anymore. And, and I said, look, the reason why you do them, first of all, I said, I hope to get to a point where that large fundraiser is worth doing because it is a lot of work. But I said, you know, the one thing is a lot of our donors, we don't get to see during the year. So it's the one time that we have a touch point that we get to see them. So I said, even if we break even, it's worth doing. But I've done it now where we figured out a formula that actually works and actually makes good money. So the formula is this, the evening has to be short, the food has to be really good, the space has to be really good. And people, we have a few silent auction, it's not a big silent auction stuff. We have really good drinks. The evening is short and we know people are there to support us, right? Mm-hmm. So all I do, last year was, our, I'll give you an example. So last year it was our 30th anniversary. So I said, I'm going to raise $150,000 before the event. And what we're going to do that night is we're going to try to raise another 150000 for a total of 300000 for our 30th anniversary. So I came in with, I had the 150000 I was a little nervous whether we could raise 150000 that night. We ended up raising four hundred eighty thousand. <gasps> it was unbelievable. So yeah, so I'm <laughs> I'm working right now on raising that money because I was like, oh, I got to do that again. Because I <laughs> see, I, I we also do a match in May and in November. So I got to come up with that match money, and now I got to come up with this match money. So uh, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, but, I know. I always right. say those are my favorite problems. Yeah, exactly. Put the pressure on me to figure it out. But yeah, it was incredible. And again, people leave, they go, the evening was fabulous. It wasn't a five hour event. And we got tons of food. We got great drinks. And it was a totally fun night. It was last year was one of the best. It was one of those things that you walk away and you go, if I could create that kind Mm. of atmosphere, every time I threw a party, I would love to. But it's, you know, it's like all the things came together in a perfect world. The auctioneer was really good. 
people just stood up. I mean, mm. one of my donors, I called her the day before because I wanted to know how much she was going to give. Because I said, you know, I want to have a few people in the audience that I know what they're going to raise their hand at. And surprisingly, because she she gives us like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. She said, oh, I'm going to give 5,000. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Because I was hoping she'd do more than that. But I was like, fine, fine. So the auction started off and somebody raised their hand at like 35,000. And she immediately raised her hand at 25,000. And I was like, and then all these people came out of the woodwork. And it was just, it was, again, it's people are like, we're coming here to give the money. So let's just get this over with and raise our hand and people can... (laughs) You know, and they can get and they can get kudos in front of their friends and whatever. And it was fabulous. So I hope I can recreate it this year. We're going to try. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Yep. I love that. Is there anything I haven't asked you about retention or donor engagement that I should have asked you? Well, first of all, let me back up a step. Before I focus on all this stuff, because I've been doing it for 30 years, before I did it, when I first started, and everybody should do this before they, I've done it the last like four organizations I work for. I spent a lot of time and I'm talking like a year clearing up the database that I work on. Mm. Because when I go into Bloomerang and I run a report, when I run that report, I have to feel comfortable that the information it's giving me is accurate. Mm-hmm. So these are the six things that I want from people. I want their correct name. I want their correct address. I want their birth year. I want email and I want cell phone. If I can get those pieces, I can do my job. And then the pluses with Bloomerang is I then try to get Facebook and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is great because it gives me a lot of information about somebody. Usually it gives me where they went to school, what they're currently doing, that sort of thing. And the other thing I love about LinkedIn and Facebook is they have photos of the people. And I Mm. love that little piece that Bloomerang has where you can put the person's photo up there. Because when I'm going to, we just had a major donor event a couple months ago. And again, I, I remember most people, but it's nice to, you know, I run that list of RSVPs and then I look at people's picture before I leave my house to just go, okay, I remember what Mallory looks like. I remember what John Mm. looks like. and then. So I walk up and it's like, hey, John, I haven't seen you in a year. And just that's, I love that, those little pieces that Bloomerang has. And the other piece that I love about Bloomerang is when I run into issues, first of all, they're recreating their site all the time. They're adding new stuff. Mm. It changes and all of it really helps me. And I give them suggestions on stuff that I've tried to do, usually in reports. I'm usually trying to do a report and it's not coming out the way I want. And so I usually sending them requests about, hey, can you change this so you can do that? And usually within a few months, if it's not too difficult a task, they've already done it and it works. So that's what I love about it. Yeah, That's awesome. That's awesome. And I love all that advice. And I really appreciate you sharing the donor record information that is critical because one of the things I didn't hear you say was obsession around past giving being 100% correct. Did I miss that? 
And I think that is something that a lot of organizations get hung up on because they've transferred databases multiple times. They feel like there's some check in the mail that's missing. And so they like don't use their donor database. And so all of the things that you said, here's what I make sure is correct. Those are all very verifiable pieces of information. And so I think it's so helpful for people to hear like clean data does not mean perfect data. Usable data does not mean perfect data. And so thank you for breaking that down like that. Yeah, no, and I and I tell people, if I hire somebody to help me with my database, the one attribute they have to have is they have to be anal retentive. They just have to be because, you know, when I started, I did reports like, how many addresses do I have that are the primary address is New York? And the reason I did that is because when you're pressing N, when you're putting in the state, New Mexico, mm-hmm. before... New Mexico, I think it's New Jersey, and right after is New York. So I found like 10 people's address mm. that was, it was at literally a Santa Fe address, but it said New York or gmail.co. And, you know, we're not sending them an email. So now I have a report. It's called Complete Constituents. And I run it every year and I try to increase the number of people that are complete constituents by 5%. So Like in the summertime, like now I start working at 630 in the morning. Now I can't make donor phone calls during that time. And I can't really talk to anybody at the shelter because no one's there yet. So what I do for like an hour, I start working on all these things. Like how many people have I added to the database in the last week or two weeks? And I don't have their birth year or I don't have their email Mm. address or I don't have. So I'm always constantly. And again, I just take it little pieces at a time. When I started, I spent eight hours a day on the database and it took a long time to clean up. But now I have it down where I just run these little reports and I can spend an hour here, an hour there and clean up everything and make sure I have everything. So to me, that's how I focus. Because if I have all those pieces, that means I can reach that person in all of the ways that we reach people. So I can reach Mm. them by their phone, I can reach them via email, and I can reach them via social media, which is the Mm. most important ways. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you so much for this time today, for this conversation. I'm so grateful for all the wisdom you shared with our listeners and um, cannot wait to hear when you pass 70% of that retention number. And I love that. I will be so excited. Yes, you'll have to let me know. And just congratulations on all your success. And thank you so much for this time today. Okay. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thanks. Okay, there is so much inside this episode that I love, but here are a few of my favorite takeaways. Number one, creating a positive atmosphere through gratitude and encouragement can leave a lasting impression on your donors. By expressing thanks for their contributions and encouraging them to stay involved, you foster a culture of mutual respect and support. Some of the ways to create a positive atmosphere include sending a personalized thank you letter when you receive a donation or making a phone call to donors, Another is following up with a note card written by a board member about a month after receiving a donation or offering a tour of the organization's facility to new donors to help further engage them in the mission. Number two, monitoring and improving donor retention is like the North Star for nonprofits. It guides every aspect of fundraising strategies. By setting clear targets and tracking your retention rates, you'll quickly identify what's working and more importantly, what is it? 
Number three, with so many communication channels to choose from nowadays, it's critical to reach out to donors through various avenues, whether it's via phone calls, email, or social media. Diversifying your donor communication can provide a personalized and engaging experience. And number four, Carl uses and loves Bloomerang's dashboard feature to track and run reports, allowing him to prioritize first-time donors for immediate phone calls. So think about the ways that you can be using your CRM to enhance your donor retention. Okay, for additional takeaways and tips inside this episode, head on over to malloryerickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Carl and our amazing sponsors, Bloomerang. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to malloryerickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.